we had a wonderful time. We want to thank you all for sending us because you all sent us. You know, we, we send people on mission trips and we talk about sons being sent from the house. But actually, the sons and daughters of this house sent the father and mother of this house. You all sent us away for a month. And we had a wonderful, wonderful time. And I just want to give you a quick recap uh, of our time before I go into the word this morning. First of all, uh, we left on October 7th and uh, went down to Monterey, stayed at the Intercontinental Hotel in Monterey, right on Cannery Row. And I got to preach at Iglesia Paloma Blanca that night, which is a Hispanic church in Seaside, about 300 Mexicans in Seaside. And it was their 10-year anniversary celebration. And uh, the pastor was one of my Bible college students at SUM 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And uh, he graduated from SUM, went down there and planted that church with his dad and his brothers and sisters and cousins and uncles and aunts and, and a whole bunch of other folks. And they're doing a powerful work down there. And so got to minister there. There's mighty signs and wonders, great miracles and testimonies are still coming forward. It's really interesting. I just got a, an email a couple days ago of a, a miracle that happened at the altar that Sunday night at that service of a man who had been uh, injured way back during uh, his during the Vietnam War time and had been plagued by this particular uh, injury and was completely healed in that service. And so God did a marvelous work. And we spent a couple days there in Monterey and played on the beach and ate some grubbing food. And, uh, man, we had some of the, the best food in the world on this vacation. This whole month, we've been eating at the best restaurants, staying in the nicest places. So we went from Monterey down to San Luis Obispo and hung out there a few days and played and played and ate and ate and shopped and played and shopped and ate and then went down to Los Angeles and hung out with some of our fuller friends. And I got to preach that Sunday at uh, a church in Los Angeles, in South Central Los Angeles, that our friends Anna and Louie Kang are planting. And they're going to formally uh, launch that church in January. So I got to minister there. And there were some great healings at that service as well. God did some marvelous things. Uh, and, th- and then we ate at a, at a wonderful restaurant. This restaurant, this was a Japanese restaurant that had all of the steak. You know, like the Benihana's where they have the steak and the shrimp and, you know, all of that stuff. It was like that. Plus they had um, sushi rolls and shabu-shabu. I mean, this was like all in one. This was everything, you know. And, and so the owner was a member of the church. So he hosted us. We got to eat whatever we wanted. It's like, what would you like? I'd like two sushi rolls and a filet mignon and mochi ice cream. I mean, they were bringing us out all kinds of stuff. We were, we were, we were, I'm on vacation. I, I ate what I wanted. I did not, I was not thinking about my weight. I said, I will diet after this thing is over. So I'm officially starting my diet today. <laughs> and uh, after that, we drove back home on Monday and we left for Korea on Tuesday. And we got to Seoul, and uh, uh, we we ate, <laughs> and we ate, <laughs> and we shopped. I got fitted for a tailor-made new suit, got it tailored for me, and uh, it uh, it's in the cleaners this week, and I'll be wearing it next Sunday. So watch out, watch out, y'all, watch out. Uh, Alethea got to play at Pororo Land, and uh, if you don't know who Pororo is, Pororo is a Korean Pororo. I sound Italian when I say it. I I can't say it right. Pororo is a Korean cartoon character. He's a penguin. And Alethea loves watching that that cartoon, that television show. She don't understand a word they're saying. It's all in Korean. But she just loves it. 
and they had a potato land there in Seoul, right in the, the, the mall next to the building that we stayed in. So Alethea got to go there and play. We ministered that weekend at New Philadelphia Church, and uh, then we headed down to Koje, well, to Tejun, where Sonny's family is. We hung out there. We went to Juju Bongs, I mean, Jimju Bongs, and uh, yeah, we'll tell you about that another time. That was, there's actually a word in there. There's a powerful word from the Lord in that experience, and I'll share it with you uh, another time. And then we went to Koje Island, which is a beautiful island in Korea, and then we went to Tejun, I mean, uh, uh, Pusan. And I thought, you know, Pusan is in the south, so I thought it was going to be country. Because, you know, the south of any nation is the country. You know, you go to the south, what's in the south? Country folk. So I thought these were Korean country bumpkins, you know. But this was like big city. This was like bigger than San Francisco city. Like high-rise buildings. This was one of the most beautiful cities, and it's right on the beach. And so the Lord blessed us with this beautiful condo overlooking the beach in the nicest area of the entire city. Man, we went out there and, and Alethea fed the birds. Alethea and my, my wife are both beach people. Like, they love the beach. You know, I love the shade. <laughs> Just give me the shade and some watermelon. But they want to go out on the beach <laughs> in the sun, <laughs> you know. And so they're out there. We, we had a wonderful time. And, uh, yes, we just had a wonderful time. We just want to say we got home yesterday at noon. We, we flew into SFO at noon yesterday and uh, had a powerful service at the Ark last night. Uh, yesterday was my birthday, by the way, 36 years old. And um, the, the, at New Philly threw, us, threw me a birthday party yesterday morning. It's interesting. My birth, yesterday was the longest birthday I've ever had in my life. Because I woke up in Korea and went to sleep in, in Hayward. I woke up in Seoul and went to sleep. And it's 16 hours difference. So 16 plus 24, I had a 40-hour birthday. <laughs> but New Philly threw me a birthday party at the Grand Hilton, at the Grand Hyatt, or the Grand Hilton, Grand Hyatt Hotel. The Grand Hyatt Hotel in Seoul at their all-you-can-eat breakfast buffet. And the whole staff took us out to breakfast and uh, and it was it was marvelous, and they you know, they just showered us they just showered us with so much love and grace. But I just share all this with you to say that we are so thankful for the love that you showed us by sending us on this. We're so grateful for it, and I want you to know we honored it. Uh, you know, some people have said, "Well, if you're preaching every Sunday, how is that a how is that a sabbatical?" No, you don't understand. <laughs> preaching does not wear me out; it fires me up. It's the other stuff that wears me out, like staff meetings, <laughs> fixing people's problems. <laughs> you know, pastor, I'm depressed. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. I'm in the pit. <laughs> you know, preaching fires me up. But that other stuff wears me out. And so we needed a month off of that other stuff. And we got it. Now we're ready to go back into that other stuff with power. Yeah. Amen. Somebody said, don't you get tired of preaching? I said, that's a ridiculous question. That's asking a cyclist, do you get tired of riding your bike? No. Dream of it at night when you're not, when you're not riding. That's asking Tiger Woods, don't you ever get tired of swinging the golf club? Of course not. Of course not. No. You know, it's not work. It's fun. And it's, it's, it's life. And so uh, we did honor the time that you gave us by really resting and really playing. 
and having a lot of time, a lot of fun. And so thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Now we're home. We're fired up more clarity than ever. And that's what God does. You know, whenever we get to go away for a little while, he gives us clarity. And so we're back with so much clarity and, and with so much uh, vision for what God wants to do in our midst. And I just want to say that we're on the cusp of a new season. We've actually been in it for a while. We just haven't recognized it. But now we're going to begin to recognize the season that we are in. Because only when you begin to recognize the season that you're in, do you fully capitalize on the benefits and blessings that are in it. And so we're going to begin, begin to do that right now. And I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 41. As we begin to talk on these things. And this morning I want to talk to you on the subject, the blessing of fatness. The blessing of fatness. Mm. There's a fat blessing in the house. It's a fat blessing, not a skinny blessing. Not a skinny blessing. Genesis chapter 41, verse 17. Just going to read just a piece of this. When you get there, say amen. amen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. When out of the river, there came up seven cows, fat and sleek. Look at your neighbor, say fat and sleek. That's so countercultural, isn't it? You don't put fat and sleek together in the same sentence in our culture. It's skinny and sleek. In our culture, it's fat and sloppy. But see, when you're talking about cows, it's a different story. Because nobody wants a skinny cow. There's not much meat in there. No, you want a fat cow. Full of milk and full of meat. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. When you sit down and have a steak, you don't want no steak from no skinny cow. You want a steak from the fattest cow in the field. You want that, foul, that cow to be well fed. Remember the story of the prodigal son. What did the father say? Kill the fattened cow. No, diet, no dietary cow. Cows have been on a diet out there exercising. You don't see cows on treadmills. You're getting too fat. No, fatness is a blessing. It's a good thing. Pharaoh said, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile when out of the river there came seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny, meaning skinny, and very ugly. Isn't it funny? We don't put skinny and ugly together. We put fat and ugly together. <laughs> but listen to what Pharaoh says. Scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. Mm. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would shower us with a blessing of fatness. I prayed in the name of Jesus because, Father, truly, you have blessed us with a blessing of fatness. The problem is our perspective. We think we are scrawny and ugly and lean when you have already made us fat and sleek. 
And God, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would shift our perspective this morning so that we might clearly discern the season that we are in, that we might capitalize on its blessing, take full advantage of it, and become faithful stewards of what you've given us. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now, at the beginning of this chapter, we know that Joseph had been in prison. And while he was in prison, he met two servants of Pharaoh. One of them was a baker, and the other one was a butler. Both the baker and the butler had dreams that troubled them, and Joseph interpreted those dreams for them. He told the baker what he didn't want to hear. He said, the meaning of your dream is that in three days, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head and cut it off. You're about to die. That's not a good word from the Lord. But the butler, he had a good interpretation of his dream. In three days, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you're going to hold, the, the, hold Pharaoh's cup again. And then Joseph put in this word, and by the way, when Pharaoh restores you to your place and to your position, remember me. Put in a good word for me. And the butler said, it's all good. Three days later, it happened just as Joseph said. The baker, Pharaoh, lifted up his head and cut it off. The butler, Pharaoh, lifted up his head and restored him to his place. And he stood in Pharaoh's court daily and held Pharaoh's cup. But he forgot all about Joseph. For another three years, he forgot all about Joseph. He didn't tell anybody until three years later, Pharaoh had two dreams that disturbed him. He went to sleep at night, and first dream he had was that of seven fat cows that jumped up, sprung up out of the Nile River. They just came out of the river, seven cows, and they were fat and sleek, and Pharaoh thought, it's about to be on. We're going to have us a barbecue. Seven fat cows. These are beautiful cows, full of milk and full of meat. Come on, somebody. Full of milk and full of meat. And then he said, seven scrawny cows jumped up out of the Jordan River and ate up the fat cows. That is a disturbing dream, my friends. To see cow cannibalism happening right before your very eyes. Skinny, scrawny, ugly, demonic-looking cows eating up these beautiful fat cows, just chewing them up, chomping them. Can you imagine seeing one cow eat another living cow? That is a terrible dream. And Pharaoh woke up and it said, after they ate those fat cows, they looked just as scrawny as they did. You would think after eating a whole fat cow, a skinny cow would then look like a fat cow, right? No, they looked just as scrawny as they did before they ate the fat cows, as if they hadn't eaten anything. And Pharaoh woke up troubled, disturbed, like, oh, what in the world? You ever had a dream that just woke you up feeling disturbed? What? And when you have a dream like that and you wake up in the middle of the night, you're afraid to go back to sleep, aren't you? You're afraid to go back to sleep. Why? Because if you go back to sleep, you might have another terrible dream. You might have another crazy dream. Well, Pharaoh goes back to sleep and sure enough, has another crazy dream. He sees seven heads of grain, full and good. And then suddenly, seven ugly heads of grain crop up and swallow up the seven good heads of grain. And he wakes up again, disturbed. He knows there's some meaning in this dream. So he assembles his court. He calls all of his wise men and his magicians, and he tells them the dreams. He says, I need you guys to interpret this for me. And they're trying to come up with something, you know, pulling something out of their butt, you know. Uh, Pharaoh, the dream means that uh, the seven cows represent... Uh, seven wise men uh, uh, that are about to come into your court. 
You know, I mean, they were just coming up with something. And Pharaoh's going, no, no, no. This doesn't bear witness with my spirit. This just doesn't click for me. Some, and he was, he was getting angry. He says, isn't there anybody in the land that can interpret these dreams for me, that can help me understand what's happening? Where did these dreams come from? Who gave them to me? And what do they mean? And the butler jumped him and says, wait, oh, my goodness. I totally forgot. Three years ago, I met a man in prison. Now, typically, when somebody starts a conversation by saying, I met a man in prison, you don't want to hear the end of that conversation. <laughs> so, yeah, I met a brother in the pen. He can interpret your dreams for you. <laughs> His brother in the pen was deep. <laughs> but he said, I met this man in prison who interpreted my dream, and it came to pass just as he said. Pharaoh said, get this man. Get this. Bring him. I will not sit down till he enters my court. Says they went with haste, pulled Joseph out of the prison, shaved him. Says they gave him a shave. He had, you got to shave before you enter into Pharaoh's court. Can't come in there all bushy. You know, they shaved him, put clean clothes in him, rushed him into Pharaoh's court. And, he's, and Pharaoh says, listen, I heard you can interpret dreams. I had two dreams last night that disturbed me, and none of my magicians could interpret it. And Joseph says, well, listen, I can't do it. I can't do it. But God is able to give you the interpretation that you need. God can do it. I can't. God can do it. So give it to me. Give me the dream and God will give you the interpretation. Do you hear Joseph's confidence and his humility at the same time? When he says God can do it, it's not the abdication of power or responsibility. It's simply saying, yes, I'm able to do it, but not by my own power, by the power of God. I can do all things, but only through Christ who gives me the strength. There's another message in that, but I'll preach it later. Pharaoh tells Joseph the two dreams and Joseph responds immediately. He says, Pharaoh, the dreams that you had, the two dreams are one and the same. Seven fat cows, seven good grains of uh, heads of grain, seven scrawny cows, seven bad heads of grain. The seven fat cows and the seven good heads of grain represent seven years of fatness or seven years of plenty, seven years of abundance, seven years of blessing that's getting ready to come on the land of Egypt. The seven scrawny cows and the seven bad heads of grain represent seven years of famine that are going to follow those good years. And God is showing you that if proper preparations are not made during the seven years of abundance. When the seven years of famine come, they're going to eat up all of the wealth of Egypt and it won't even be remembered anymore. And God gave you this dream in two versions because it is sure God has determined it in his mind that he's going to do it and there's no changing it. So don't go praying against the seven years of famine and asking the Lord to remove it because he ain't doing it. The matter has been firmly decided by the Lord is going down that way. And it's interesting that there's nothing in the dream that that indicates what God expects them to do. God simply says, this is what I'm about to do. You know, sometimes God reveals what he's about to do and he's watching to see what you're about to do. He tells you what he's going to do because he wants to see what you're going to do. He wants to see how you are responding to what God is doing. And this is what should characterize the life of the believer. The entire life of the believer from start to finish should be a response to the work of God. That is, your work should always be a response to God's work. The problem is that we're not always responding to the work of God. Sometimes we're responding to the work of the devil. Sometimes our work becomes a response to deception. And that's when we get into trouble. 
instead of responding to the work of God. I want to respond. And sometimes that's nothing more than a a perspective. It's based on nothing more than a perspective. Whether you're responding to what God is doing or to what the enemy is doing. Check it out. Let me ask you this question. What is happening in this body right now? Is God healing or is the enemy attacking us with sickness? I'm not responding to the enemy's attack of sickness. I'm responding to God's power to heal because it's breaking out among us. It has to do with what you give your attention to. Let me ask you what's happening in your home. Is God blessing you with abundance or is the enemy attacking your finances? It's all about your perspective. If you're looking for the attack of the enemy, that's what you're going to respond to. But if your eyes are focused on the blessing of God, that's what you're going to respond to. Are you hearing me today? So Joseph, so Pharaoh says, what should we do? And Joseph says, it's simple. What you need to do is set a man over the whole land of Egypt so that he can take a fifth of the harvest and put it into storehouses for seven years. Take 20% of the harvest that comes in over the next seven years and put it into a storehouse. And don't touch it. That way, when the time of famine comes, we'll have storehouses. All we got to do is open up the storehouses. We won't be eaten up by the famine. Instead, we'll simply open the storehouses. Set commissioners over every region to gather a fifth of the harvest in that region. Put it into the storehouse. In other words, Joseph says the answer is clear, Pharaoh. We don't need to intercede and pray against the famine. We simply need to steward the years of increase. We need to steward the increase so that we're ready for the famine. Now, let me tell you something. Whenever God is getting ready to send a famine, he always precedes it with years of abundance. Why? Because he never expects his people to decrease. He never expects his people to decrease. He always expects his people to increase. Always expects his people to increase. If you look at what happened in Egypt, they gathered that 20% during the years of, 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 of abundance. When the time of famine came, it said Joseph opened up the storehouses. And they began to prosper more in the years of famine than they did in the years of abundance. Why? Because during the years of famine, they gathered the harvest. But during the years of I mean, during the years of abundance, they gathered the harvest. But during the years of famine, they started selling the harvest. And they made more and prospered more during the years of famine than they did during the years of abundance. Listen, all famine is for the people of God is an opportunity to prosper more. Why? Because God is always making a distinction between his people and the people of Egypt. Remember when he sent the plagues on Egypt, it said it was dark in all the land of Egypt, except the land of Goshen, where the people of God were. God made a distinction. It said he sent great hailstones on all the land of Egypt, except the land of Goshen, where the people of God were. God made a distinction. It said he sent a plague of frogs, and the frogs went all through Egypt, except the land of Goshen, where the people of God were. He made a distinction. God always made a distinction between his people and the rest of the nations. And let me tell you something. He's not done making a distinction. You say, well, we're in a recession. Well, I refuse to participate in that recession. I'm not believing for recession. Why? Because Abraham never said anything about being in a recession. 
It was in a recession that God told Isaac, stay where you are and plant a field. And he reaped a hundredfold in the middle of a famine. And they said, God is surely with you. Why? Because he decided that he was going to participate in his covenant rather than in the recession that the rest of the land was participating in. Here is the problem. The people of God for too long have believed that we've been living in a time of famine rather than believing that we're in a time of abundance. That is, we've had a famine mentality rather than a fatness mentality. What we need is a fatness mentality. To participate in the blessing of fatness, you must have a fatness mentality rather than a famine mentality. Let me tell you the difference. The difference is your perspective. If you are not saving anything, you're consuming all you have. You're living with a famine mentality. Because in a famine, you don't save nothing. You save for a famine. If you're consuming all you have, you're living with a famine mentality. A famine mentality. I'm in a famine. But actually, you're not in a famine. You've just been broke your whole life. It's not, a, it's not a famine. A famine is an isolated situation. You're talking about a lifestyle that's been handed down to you for generations. It's not a famine. It's a lifestyle. I remember when I was in college, my first year of college, I remember thinking, man, if I just had $500 a month, I would be happy. That's all I need. $500 a month. I heard one of my friends say he got a job. He was making 24000 a year. I was like, that is living fat. 24000 a year, that's $2,000 a month. So, Lord, I don't even need that. Just let me have $500 a month. That's all I need. And I remember that same year, I got a job working at the bank. I was a bank teller. I was working about 15, 20 hours a week and going to school at the same time. And I was making about $500 a month. I was so happy for about 45 minutes. And then I realized, $500, that ain't nothing. That's just enough to be broke at the end of the month. $500, that's nothing. What I need is $1,000 a month. Lord, if I could just make $1,000 a month. And I'll never forget the day came when I was making $1,000 a month. And I was happy for about 45 minutes. Then I realized $1,000 a month, that ain't nothing. That's just enough to be broke at the end of the month. And then I said, Lord, if I just had $2,000 a month, 2000 if I could just make $2,000 a month, I would be happy. And then I made $2,000 a month in seminary. It took me to seminary. I went all through four years of college, never hit that level. But in my, the middle of my seminary, all of a sudden, I hit that level, $2,000 a month. I was happy for about 45 minutes. <laughs> then I realized, this ain't nothing. After giving my tithe, paying my bills, I got nothing. Lord, what I need is $4,000 a month. Do you realize that four becomes eight and eight becomes 16 and 16 becomes 32? And you can be making $32,000 a month and find yourself saying, this ain't nothing. You can find yourself making 32 and saying, all I need is 40. Because it's always out there somewhere. It's never what you got right now. 
It's always what you need out there. That is, if we, when we're living with a famine mentality, we're looking at what we got and saying, this is nothing. Whereas an abundance mentality says, even at $500 a month, I'm going to steward this $500 a month. I'm going to be thankful for this $500 a month. I'm going to live on this $500 a month like I'm a king because this is $500 that God put under my authority. 500 servants that God put under my care. And I'm going to be the master to these servants. And I'm going to tell them where to go and they're going to go. 500 soldiers. Every month, God gives me 500 soldiers. I'm going to line them all up before me and say, stand at attention. See, the problem is instead of taking authority over your money, you're letting your money take authority over you. And Jesus said clearly, man cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. And a famine mentality puts you at the service of money. But an abundance mentality, a fatness mentality, puts money at your service. See, the only way to make sure that you never serve money is to make sure that money serves you. If it ain't serving you, you're serving it. I can't afford to save. Famine mentality. I can't afford to give my tithe. Famine mentality. Famine mentality. The Western church has been overtaken by a famine mentality. And can I bring it home? Can I bring it home? Especially in inner city settings where there's a lot of African-Americans and Hispanics. And no, I am not a racist because I be one. I'm telling you the truth. In inner city settings where there's a lot of African-Americans and Hispanics, you can grow a mega church even. Have a huge building that seats thousands of people and fill it with thousands of folks who are so broke and in so much debt and living under such a spirit of poverty that they are hopeless about ever breaking out of it, living in the rat race for the rest of their lives. Why? Very simple. They have learned how to sow, but never learned how to reap. They've learned how to give to God, but got absolutely no faith that God is going to return the favor. And believers are living under the myth that God can be in debt. And worse than that, we think God is in debt to us. Why? Because he said, bring the tithe into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house, says the Lord. Try me in this and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you don't have room enough to receive. And I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. He said it. And I've been sowing and tithing for the last 20 years. I'm still broke. But one day God's going to open the windows of heaven one day. In other words, God's in debt to me because I've been given. I've been given to him for 20 years. He hasn't given me nothing. God will not be in debt to you. Let's get that straight. God will not be in debt. Instead of looking for a one-day blessing, I'm looking for a today blessing. That means that when I put my 10% in the plate and give to the Lord, I'm going to go home and put 10% in the bank. Why? Because the Bible says, as a man sows, so shall he reap. So when I sow it, I'm going to go home and reap it and trust him with that other 80%. He's going to stretch that 80%. Why? Because I'm going to reap at least as much as I sow. 
And I'm actually expecting him to even increase the harvest of my righteousness. See, I started out this year preaching that 15, 15, 70 thing, and I backed off of it. Why? Because I felt like I was enslaving you because I felt so much resistance coming from people who were trying to do it, but struggling and falling and feeling like it was a great burden. And while I've been gone over the last month, the Lord has laid it on my heart so strongly that when you let the people off the hook with that thing, you've allowed them to opt out of the blessing that I promised them. I can't let you opt out of your blessing. I can't let you end up disillusioned in 10 years that you've given to the Lord faithfully and you got nothing. I can't let you do that. I can't allow you to do it. You will not have nothing after sowing into the kingdom of God faithfully for years. And there's so many faithful givers in this house. This is not to rebuke you. This is to encourage you. This is to strengthen your hands. You have been faithful to God so many times. Faithful, sacrificial givers in this house that God is pleased with and he wants to bless you. But you've got to get enough faith for your blessing. See, the thing about tithing is that it takes faith because I got to trust that when I put that 10% into the plate, God is going to stretch that other 90 to meet my needs. Let me tell you something. That's not enough faith. You believed God to stretch that 90 to meet your needs and that's what he's done. It has been to you according to your faith because you've been believing that you'll be broke at the end of the month. And you're broke at the end of the month and you say, praise the Lord, that 90% met my needs. Hallelujah. But that's not increase. That's not increase. Now come to another level of faith where you can put that 10% in the bank and believe God to stretch that 80. God's going God's to make that 80. My God shall provide for all of your needs according to his riches and glory. That's baseline. But the promise is more than baseline provision. The promise is increase. It's about having a storehouse. Now, God commanded through Malachi that we are to bring the tithe into the storehouse, which is the house of God. But you need to go home and put a tithe into your storehouse. Because the Bible says in the house of the righteous are stores of good and precious things. But the fool devours all he has. You got to stop devouring all you have. I don't care if all you have is $5 a month. Put 50 cents in the bank. If you get $10, put a dollar in the plate and a dollar in the bank. I'm t now, remember, the Lord laid out 15, 15, 70 at the beginning of this year. That's what I'm believing for. That's what I'm, that, I'm saying. That's the promise of blessing. But you've got to shift your mentality so that you don't see it as a burden. It feels like such a burden, but it only feels like a burden when you're not walking in faith. My wife preached this so powerfully when we were in Korea. I never heard it like this before. She said, if you got a brand new Porsche, but didn't have the key, that Porsche would be a burden because you'd have to push it everywhere. It's a brand new Porsche, but you don't have the key. So instead of the car carrying you, you have to push the car. You know, there's a lot of believers that are pushing around the blessings of the Lord. It becomes a burden. I got a promise, but it's a burden because I don't have any faith. Faith is the key that opens the door. Faith is the key that starts the engine. Faith is the key that causes the blessings of God to carry me so that I don't feel like I have to carry the blessings. God gives you a command. It's a burden if you don't have any faith. 
But if you got faith, it's not a burden anymore. It's a blessing. Even if God were to say, give me all you have right now, it wouldn't be a burden. It would be a blessing. It wouldn't be a heavy thing. It would be a, an exciting thing. It'd be like having a new car. Why? Because the promise always increases me. It never decreases me. But I have to have the faith to believe that. God speaks to Pharaoh, gives him these two dreams, gives Joseph the interpretation, but God does not release Egypt into the seven years of abundance until a system of stewardship was created so that the increase would not be lost. God is ready to release increase in so many of your lives, but until you establish a system of stewardship over it, he will not release it because it'll be lost. When God sees that you will not squander what he gives you, he'll give you more. My pastor told a story about his wife and how she was, she works for American express and she works in the sales division and she does these huge deals, these huge uh, contracts with, with customers. I'm talking million, tens of millions of dollar contracts. And it's broken into regions, and she has a particular region, a particular realm, and nobody's supposed to mess with the contracts in that region. They're hers. But for years, people outside of that region would take contracts and start working on them without telling her. And then just before they'd close the deal, they'd call her up and say, you know, we've been working on this contract, but we just realized it's part of your region. Would you mind if we finished it together and shared the commission? And she would say, okay, okay, sure. Yeah, no problem, no problem. The Lord spoke to my spiritual father one day and said, tell him, to, tell her to tell them no. <laughs> Lady called her on the phone and said, you know, we realize that uh, we've been working on this contract and we realize it's in your region. And uh, we we're wondering, could could we close it together and share the commission? She told him, no, it's in my region. You knew it was in my region when you took it. You had no business working on contract. This is my contract. Thank you for doing the work for me. But this is my harvest. I'm reaping. I'm reaping it. We're not, I'm not sharing my harvest with you. And they said, it's so unfortunate that you would take that route. It's so unfortunate that you would take that route. She said, well, I'm taking it. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> that same day, her phone started ringing off the hook with new contracts that she never thought she would get. All of a sudden, the blessing started pouring in. And there were all of these deals and contracts. And the Lord spoke to her and said, now that I see that you're not going to give your increase away, I've got a lot more that I want to give you. I'm going to release the blessing now. Why? Because I see that it's going to be stewarded and not squandered. That is, I see that now you've got a fatness mentality and not a famine mentality. Joseph, I'm assigning you the task of appointing commissioners throughout the land, gathering in 20% of the harvest. When God saw that that system was set in place to set aside 20% of the harvest, God said, now the years of abundance are going to start. Now the years of abundance are going to See, because some of you have been saying in your hearts, I'll give more when I get more. And that is not the way it works in the kingdom of God. Because if you won't tithe on $100 a month, you won't tithe on 10000 my wife and I were talking in, 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 in uh, Korea over the last couple of weeks, and we decided we're going to start giving Alethea an allowance every week. She's three years old. What do you mean? She doesn't understand. I don't care if she understands or not. We're going to teach her habits. Her understanding is going to catch up. 
She's going to learn how to be a faithful steward. She's going to learn the right perspective on money from a young age. Why? Because money's not going to destroy her when she becomes an adult. No, it's, it's, she is not going to, money is not going to be a crushing burden that crushes her every day. It's, she's going to have command of it from a young age. We're going to teach her this portion you save. This portion you give. This portion you budget. So if you want a toy, you're going to have to think about, is it worth buying this toy this week? We're going to teach her this at a young, her understanding will catch up. But she's going to learn to be master of money and not servant to it. She's going to learn. God is looking for us to learn. And some of us are adults and still haven't learned how to do that. Jesus said, if you're faithful with little, you'll be made master of much. That is a kingdom principle. That is a kingdom. And God will not overstep that kingdom principle that he has established because of your situation. But you don't know how hard it is for me in my situation. Let me tell you something. Kingdom principles have nothing to do with your situation. They work for everybody. They are universal in their application. They work for the believer and the non-believer. They work for the heathen and the pagan. They work for sinners and for saints. They work for black folk and for white folk. It don't matter what you've been through or where you've been. Doesn't matter what's happened in your family or what your mom and them did. It works for everybody. If you're faithful with little, you will be made master of much. The problem, come on. Yeah, you can give God a hand of praise for that. The problem is that Western culture is by very definition non-committal. We want freedom and we think freedom militates against, uh, militates against commitment. We don't think we can have commitment and freedom at the same time. What we have yet to discover is the freedom that only comes through commitment. And we say things like, every month, I'll pray about what I'm to give. Let me pray about it. The implication is that God will change his mind every month. Try that in any other realm. Your landlord call you. I haven't received your rent yet. Yes, I'm praying about whether or not to give it. I'm praying about it. I'm waiting to hear from God. He hasn't spoken to me about the light bill yet. I've got this PG&E bill here. I'm just praying over it. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me discernment. Speak to me what thou willest. Show me thy good pleasure. What would thou havest me to do? I would havest you to be faithful. Oh, I didn't get no amens on that one. I would havest you to be faithful, saith the Lord. Write that one down in your prayer book. Put that in your diary. I'm looking for faithfulness. And we understand that in every other realm. But when it comes to the things of God, we don't believe in being faithful. We believe in being charismatic. I'm praying for a word from God. Not sure what he would have me to give. No, God is looking for faithfulness. We read that scripture there in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 where Paul said, let every man give what he has decided in his heart to give. And we think that's supposed to change every week or every month. As if Paul wants us to go and pray every week, every month, Lord, what would you have us to me to give? No, give what you've decided to give. I'm talking about at the beginning of the year, decide what you're going to give and give it faithfully every month. My wife and I make a decision. We pray in December. What would you have us to give this year? And he gives us a percentage. 
and we give that percentage every month for the entire year. And we renegotiate it the next December. Our percentage this year, God said, give 20%. If you're asking the people to give 15, you learn to give 20. We don't ask you to do anything that we're not willing to do ourselves. We've got to lead the way. And so we've been doing it all year long, even when it's tough. We don't renegotiate it in the middle of the year. God is not looking, you know, we have this vagabond mentality that's so, it's endemic to our culture. And we think we serve a vagabond God. We do it with church membership. Well, I'm here until the Lord leads me on. Because that's what the Lord does with me. He leads me in and I come alongside the church for a season. And then he leads me to the next place. And I come alongside that church and he leads me to the next. And then he leads. God isn't looking for folks to come alongside the church. The Holy Spirit comes alongside the church. God wants you to be in the church, not alongside it. But it's as if we serve this vagabond God who just wants to move us from house to house. That's called an orphan mentality. What would you do if your child said, Mom, Dad, I'm here until the Lord leads me on. If Alethea woke up one day and said, it's been nice being a Robinson, but the Lord is now moving me to the Johnsons. One day he'll move me to the Smiths. Mm. (laughs) He's going to move me into the Kang family because I need more of a Korean experience. Ooh, then he's going to move me to the Parkers so I can know how the white folks live. I need a little bit of everything. The scripture says that God puts the destitute in families. What he's looking for is faithfulness. What he's looking for is covenant. What he's looking for is consistency. He's not looking for change every month. He's looking for faithfulness and he's looking for consistency. And what he's looking for is that we would learn to steward the increase that he gives us. You know, the thing is, we tend to have a famine mentality when it comes to our obligations. But we have a fatness mentality when it comes to our desires. Oh, I can't do that. I can't save. I can't give. But I sure can go on that family vacation. I'm not saying don't go on the family vacation. You need the family vacation. But work it into your budget. I'm going to find a way to get those, that new pair of shoes. I'm going to find a way to get that iPhone 5. When it comes to any type of commitment, it's, I can't do it. I can't do it. It seems like a crushing burden. I can't do it. I can't do it. But when it comes to desires... Somehow I can do it. I know I can't afford this new car in the natural, but I got faith. I can do it. I know renting this house is outside of my budget. And I can't afford it, but it's only outside by three or four hundred dollars. I can do it. I got faith for that much. Come on, somebody. You with me this morning? What I'm saying to you is that your years of abundance aren't now. 
you're waiting for years of abundance to begin, you need to get that mentality out of your mind and open up a new mentality that says the years of abundance are upon us. Let's open up some storehouses. Some of you don't have any storehouses in your life. You need to go open one tomorrow morning. If you don't have a savings account, go open one tomorrow morning. I don't care if there's nothing in it. Start putting something in it. Even if it's a dollar a week or $5 a week, put something in it. Put something in it every week. Put something in it every month. Every time you get paid, first you should give God his part, and then you should give yourself your part. Put it into that savings account, and then figure out how to live on the rest. The problem with most folks, especially in the inner city, is not that we don't have enough money. Is that we don't know how to steward it properly. We don't know how to give our attention to it so that we govern every dollar and every expenditure. And the less you have, the more of a demand for faithfulness is upon you. Financial autonomy is a myth. I heard Pastor Christian Lee say this financial autonomy is a myth. To think that we don't have to give an account to anyone for our finances is a myth. One day we're going to have to stand before God and give an account for every penny. You know why? It's all his. We're stewards. He's entrusted it to our care. It all belongs to him. All of it. Shift your perspective. You're not in famine. You're living under the blessing of fatness, but fatness must be stewarded. It must be stewarded. I'm stewarding the blessing of fatness, but I need I need to steward a different kind of blessing in regard to my, my physical body. God wants to bless you with a fat blessing. But a fat blessing requires a fat storehouse. God wants to bless you with a fat blessing, not so that you can consume it and be fat. But so that you can give a fat blessing. So that you can be generous in all circumstances. And so that you might live with the understanding that if you build storehouses, let the years of famine come. I'll prosper more in famine than I do in fatness. Famine is simply an opportunity to become fatter in blessing, in giving, in stewarding. And that is what God is calling us to as a body. And if we're faithful with that, I tell you what, we're getting ready to see the greatest breakthrough that we've ever seen in our lives. And it's going to go beyond our stewardship. It's not simply the extrapolation of our stewardship. God is going to go beyond the pattern and bless us with a blessing that goes far beyond what we can imagine. All he's looking for is, are you willing to steward and stop squandering the increase that I give? If you'll do that, there's an abundant harvest. Bow your heads. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would pour out your spirit on these sons and daughters of yours. God, those that are listening. God, some in this room, matter of fact, several, perhaps even many, have become disillusioned and discouraged in the realm of their finances. 
financially tormented, even for generations. There's generations of financial torment represented in this house today. But God, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would begin to break the mindset. And I'm not praying against a curse. I'm not breaking generational curses. I'm breaking generational mindsets. It's about your perspective and the way you're thinking. It's not about what the devil has done. It's about what the devil's tricked you into doing. It's not about having more. It's about stewarding what you've got. Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would release a spirit of stewardship over this house in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you would see by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are no longer going to squander the increase that you give. We want you to be free to bless us in whatever way you desire to bless us. That you'd look upon us and see that no good thing do you have to withhold. Because the only reason a father withholds any blessing from his children is because they're not ready to steward it yet. But when a father sees that his sons and daughters are ready to steward blessing, he gives it. I release these sons and daughters of yours into a new season. A season of blessing. A season of fatness. Your dwelling will be the fatness of the earth. That's, that's the blessing that Isaac spoke over Jacob. Your dwelling will be the fatness of the earth. Your dwelling will be the fatness of the earth. The richness. The richness. That blessing belongs to you. Some of you have become so disillusioned financially, so discouraged. You think that you'll never break out of this season of famine. And you're so convinced that you'll never break out of it that you consume all you have. As soon as it comes into your hands, you consume it. That comes from disillusionment. It comes from discouragement. And the moment you've allowed yourself to become disillusioned and discouraged, you've allowed yourself to become powerless. Encouragement is a, is a sign of power. Encouragement means that you're an authority, that he has given you dominion over the work of his hands. He's put all things under your feet. You need to stop seeing money as something that exercises authority over you and start exercising authority over it. You say, well, I want to hear about spiritual things. This is a spiritual thing. Because our stewardship of natural things is the way in which God prepares us to steward spiritual things. If we can't steward the riches of this world, who will give us true riches? The riches of the kingdom of God. We need to learn how to be faithful stewards of what God gives us. We need to learn how to stop making excuses for ourselves. Stop crying about what we don't have and take authority over what you do have. I want to encourage you today. You're more powerful than you think. you got more authority than you think you have. Take authority. Take your place today. I speak blessing over your life today in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I'm restoring you to your place. Some of you started off at the beginning of this year with the 15, 15, 70, but you fell behind. You gave it up. You let it go. You got discouraged. I'm commissioning you to pick it up again. Pick it up again. Pick it up again. Pick it up again. It changed some of you. It changes every month. 
I want you to be faithful. I want you to be faithful. I want you to make a decision. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to do it. Some of you with your savings accounts, you've given up on it. You shift every month, every two months. I want you to be faithful. I want you to have a harvest. I don't, I don't want you to find yourself needing to retire and not having any money to retire with. Have a, a separate account for emergencies. I don't want you to have to take out of your savings when you blow out a tire on your car. Have a separate account for emergencies that's just there in case the light, you know, tire blows or something like that happens. You got to fix the car. God's going to give you wisdom for stewardship. He's going to give you wisdom for increase, but it comes through encouragement and encouragement comes through understanding. Understanding comes through wisdom and wisdom comes through revelation. I'm saying that God has spoken by his spirit today and through his spirit, there's a release of wisdom and wisdom is bring understanding and understanding is bringing encouragement and encouragement is bringing you power. I say you got power now and you're going to walk in power. Now you're going to walk in authority. Now this blessing of fatness is not going to pass you by. It's a fat blessing. It's a fat blessing. You're going to walk in it. And I speak blessing and encouragement over your life today. Great increase. Great peace, great understanding, and great joy. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen. Stand to your feet and give God a shout of praise. God bless you. We're dismissed.